Hello everybody, welcome to Coffee Time with Byron, I'm your host Byron, this is episode number 68, I, uh, alongside me is former NFL offensive lineman, with, I want to say one team, but kind of is two teams, the, uh, even though they switch states, it still is, it's still two teams to me, the Houston Oilers and the Tennessee Titans. And he is host, co-host of XM, XM Radio NFL show with Alex Marvez, who I also watch on AEW as well. He has a stint there. How are you doing tonight? And thank you for joining us on this very fine night. Byron, I'm doing just fine. Getting ready for Saturday's action in the NFL, of course, Sunday after that. But um, final week of the regular season. Postseason right around the corner. What? Yeah, let's exactly hop right to it. I mean, I know you see it because since you obviously are still a part of the game in some some way, like what what I'm doing, interviewing, but on the radio. So you 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 see what's going on with all this COVID and this COVID racked season again with players and et cetera, just hurting the teams. You see that affecting the playoffs where one team will go out or do you see the NFL adjusting the schedule to make sure the teams are fully, you know, fully product on the field? How do you think that's going to go? We haven't seen many scheduling changes this year like we did last year. Remember last year, Byron, there were some Tuesday games that we did see. Um, for the most part, I think if, you, if even we had one, I'd be surprised. But what we are seeing are the effects that COVID has on the players themselves being available. Yeah. And it's one thing to be dealing with injuries. It's one thing to deal with suspensions, things of that nature. But when you're talking about testing positive for COVID and therefore having to go into the product, the protocol that exists from the NFL, yeah, the guy can miss five days or, or ten days, depending yeah. on whether he's vaccinated or not. So, I mean, if it's a key player, of course it's going to have an effect. Yeah. And do you think it's going to affect the playoffs at all, or do you think? I, I mean, it could. I mean, think about that. We don't know at this point. I mean, sure. Okay, Leonard Fournette. We don't know if he's actually going to be able to. Well, COVID itself isn't thing keeping him out. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone that may contract it when they get into later rounds in the playoffs, we can't foresee that. Right. But could it possibly happen in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of the season to get it? Of course. I mean, how many teams have we seen have multiple, multiple COVID um, positive tests right. that have basically decimated their roster? You know right. I mean, look at the Panthers' defense. I mean, they're decimated with with COVID. Right. And uh, what if that were to happen to a team that was, you know, in the second round of playoffs? Would it have an effect? You're dang right it would. And do you see them moving to Super Bowl? Because I know there's talk about that now, too, that they might not have that so high. Well, think about it. There's not as much money to be earned if, in fact, they put up the stipulations that California has in place for live events like that, right? True. But obviously down there in Texas, a little more wild, wild west. Very true. Which would be funny, but... Jerry Jones and the AT&T Stadium are a perfect venue for a team and an organization that, you know, banks heavily on that final game of the season. It means something. It's yeah. a culmination of everybody's hard work. And for it to be affected by not having the presence or even the corporate influence that it could otherwise have if it didn't have the restrictions, they're going to do anything they can to make sure this thing runs smoothly. Right. So before we get into your career, I got to ask you this, since you are current on the topics this is big a story around the NFL because he makes it happen. Antonio Brown, what do you make to this situation? Do you think, like me, half and half, he needs help? 
like the mental part or and a half of it to me is that he's just being this way because just to be this way because he's uh you know diva receiver do you think do you think like me it's half and half that there is mental issues too well i i just first off think that he just obviously didn't get enough attention as a kid that's something he seeks. He seeks it through social media, through strangers, through anyone that would give it to him. It's, he wants the attention. It's obvious. But I also think that there, there was there was something that he had to stand on until he proved to us that he wasn't as injured as he was saying he was. Mm-hmm. If you're dealing with a knee injury and every other, excuse me, an ankle injury that won't allow you to do jumping jacks through the end zone as you take your clothes off and throw them into the stands as you're on your way to the tunnel. Yeah. Now, if he were, in fact, injured... And forcing a player to play when he is injured, if that were the case, and then telling him to get the F off the field, that might warrant that kind of response. Yeah. But that response would then be leaving the field, not making a spectacle of yourself. So the way that he handled the situation, it could have went two ways. If he would have walked off the field disagreeing with what um, Bruce Arians was saying for him to get involved in the game and he was and uh, not believing the fact that he was hurt enough to participate, mm-hmm. then him just simply walking off the field could have been explained later on. He was dealing with an injury. Uh, he couldn't participate. He and Bruce, you know, he had some words about it. He was asked to leave the sideline, and he did. No big deal. But, no, you made it about yourself, just yeah. like you do on social media. Yep. You know, taking off all your gear, throwing it against the bench, you know, dealing with other players are trying to calm you down. The whole deal could have been dealt differently. So I don't buy the fact that he was injured. But it doesn't change the fact that if a player is injured, who knows more than that player whether or not he can do it or not. Right. And especially as super competitive as as Antonio Brown is. We all know this dude, he's out there on the field, he's a difference maker. That's the only reason why Tom called him. Right. And and we'll say that he was right in that. You know, Tom isn't inviting him over to he and Giselle's house to have dinner. It's just not the way this thing goes down. Yeah. And why does he need Antonio Brown? Not because he has a cool hairstyle or he likes, likes to hang out with him at the club. Because the dude scores touchdowns. That's right. Period. Yep. So I I have to agree with Shannon Sharp on this because he says he said it himself on Skip and Shannon a couple days ago when this story first broke. He was like, "Yes, I get the whole injury aspect. I played. Shot up. The coaches ask you if you're good to go." He said himself he was dealing with the same crap Antonio Brown was dealing with with ankle issues. Whatever he was, Antonio Brown spilling, and he's and Shannon still played it. He 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 played it because he wanted to play, and have for his family. Now, that's where I think him and Antonio differ is because obviously, he did what's right because he was told he he said Shannon played hurt because he wanted to play hurt. Antonio just did what he did just to like you said to act out. That that tells a two story of different, well, right? Let me say this. Let me interrupt you, bro. So real quick, this is the only commodity that a player has. Okay, and once this thing is used up, there is no going back. Mm-hmm. Father time is undefeated for a reason. We age yeah. out of this industry, right? Yeah. We understand that. Yeah. So, but a player has to be good enough to compete to be able to be on a team and make the money that he wants to make, right? So you yeah. got to balance this out. If he is truly hurt, then you know you have to respect the player's you know, ability to understand whether he can play or not. Okay, yeah. if not, then he's he's cut for that. Right. But when you also pick and choose a situation, 
they were getting blown out in that game, Byron. It was embarrassing. It was. You know what I'm saying? They were losing to the Jets. And I wrote (laughs) in my notes on Sunday's show, don't sleep on Robert Sala's team that has already beaten two playoff caliber teams. I even said that. I even said that. So we understood that. But it, it, it sent a bad look on Antonio Brown's part to leave a game and then have the Buccaneers come back and win it. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And in the fashion that they did. You know what I mean? Unbelievable effort from Tom and company. With 15 seconds left in the game, you end up scoring the go-ahead touchdown to win the game. I know that in that locker room, as Antonio was getting dressed, he was praying to God that they didn't come back and win that game. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> which therefore validated, you know, any sort of discussion that we're going to have afterwards about his participation in that game. Did they need him? Could it have made it easier if he were to be 100% committed and give us the talent and effort that we know that he can provide? Yeah. It may have been easier to come back for them, but that wasn't the case. He was as frustrated as the rest of that sideline. He didn't feel like competing anymore. Bruce called on him to get in there, and obviously when a player denies a coach, that got him ticked off. So he probably did tell him, get the F off, this, you know, off my sideline if you're not going to play. Why are you standing here if you're not going to participate? Right. I can see Arians you know I mean? doing that. Arians is a player's coach. Him and Andy Reid are both players coaches so yeah. i can see that happen. And I, I just and actually the, the surprise was in bruce arian from bruce arian when he said even in the quotes of the game i've never seen anything like that yeah. in his career right you've never seen a player react to you telling him to jump sideline the way you did is what you what you meant to say yep. you never heard someone stand up for themselves right or wrong yeah and leave leave the football field you know yeah. what i'm saying Exactly. I mean, something like that, who does Antonio yeah. Brown think he is? Kyrie Irving? Can yeah. walk away from all exactly. that money? I ain't getting vaccinated. You know what I mean? I don't need to do this. I got plenty of cash. You know, that might be the case. And I have no problem with the empowered athlete, right? Yeah. Because this thing is very temporary. You would expect a doctor, Byron, to go to school for 8, 12 years, you know, get versed in the profession to be as, the best he can be, and then 10, 12 years after that, call for his license. Right. Right? You don't do that. This guy can do it as long as he can. Well, that doesn't exist for pro athletes. So, we have to be, you know, aware of surroundings and you know do all those things that help us manage a very unique situation. Yeah. So you were obviously a part of the locker room for 13 years, long, long lived in your 13 years, uh, especially your position, offensive line. That's to me. I don't care what anybody says, and I'm, this is my question to you. Because this is my opinion on it. I think your your position, your guys' position on the offensive line is the most important part in the game. Because they say they a lot of people say quarterback is. I don't think so. Because if you don't have a good offensive line, what is the quarterback going to do? You can't win games like that. Right? Yeah. I will say the trenches and how you play in the trenches affect how competitive you are. But every position in football was meant to be important. Think about this. What if you didn't have any DBs? That's true. Be easy for receivers to catch the ball. What if you didn't have any D linemen to chase quarterbacks? What if you didn't have a running back to just basically simply take a handoff? You know, what if you didn't have a quarterback to throw the ball to the receivers? Who are linemen blocking for? So essentially, all the parts are interchangeable and necessary for a team to be good. Okay? But being able to play competitively means that you can do whatever you want to, basically. And if you control the line of scrimmage, you have a better chance of being able to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, think about it. If I can run the ball as effectively as I want to, what does that do? That opens up the other parts of my offense. That means that defenses are going to have to stack the box to put as many bodies in there to slow down the run game. And then what does that do? Exposes the back end. 
Yeah. So now you've got a guy that's obviously taking advantage of the run, and then he'll be able to take advantage of the pass once he sees the defense adjust to whatever whatever it is offensively they're doing. You see? Mm-hmm. So we need each other. But I will say, you know, when you look at teams that are competitive and go far into playoffs, it starts with their offensive line play. Are they able to provide run lanes? Are they able to provide the quarterback with time to obviously dispense the football? It's very important. Maybe, like you said, the, one of the most important positions. But they're all super important because that's the way football is designed. Yeah. So, uh, back to a little bit real quick, back to the Antonio Brown. Now, did you, in your 13 years in the locker room, did you ever have a player like that that was like that in the locker room where they were just into themselves? Did you ever have a player like that? You don't need. Oh, sure, of course. You don't need to name names. I don't. I don't. I wasn't going to. Yeah, I don't need to know that. <laughs> I'm just asking. Did you ever yes. have any players that that were like that? Yes, absolutely. So, um, so how and do, I will how say this. Let me say that with that experience, Brad. Let me say that. Um, inside the locker room and outside the locker room are two completely different environments. Mm-hmm. Okay. How a guy is perceived outside the locker room, how a guy handles himself outside the locker room may be completely different how he's perceived and handles himself inside the locker room, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a different dichotomy in there. So while we might have had problem children on the outside, there were problems for us on the inside. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Very rarely does a problem on the inside not manifest itself to a problem on the outside, but that doesn't mean a problem on the outside will manifest itself into a problem on the inside. Correct. It doesn't work that way. Because we understand how this thing works. We understand backs against the wall. No one's cheering for you unless you win. Mm-hmm. We know how this thing goes. So we have to be able to kind of manage our emotions and everything else within our group, within our peers. You see what I'm saying? So uh, you were part of, you were a part of, you were there. Um, you were part of the nashville miracle take us through that what was the music city miracle you almost got it byron i almost got it (laughs) i I, sad you know what's funny is i can't remember that name of it but i was i watched that game take us through that moment do you what do you remember most about that moment well for us linemen it's about field position it's about where are we going to start a drive so when you're looking at, you know, the Bills just putting points on the board and then kicking us back the ball, we want to see how far we have to go to actually, you know, obviously score and win the game. Mm-hmm. So that's all I was waiting for was to see exactly how far Kevin or whoever else was going to do the receiving back there was going to get us. And as, as his, his butt just ran down the sideline closer and closer to the goal line, it just made me feel like, yes, my job is even easier. It's even easier. It's even easier. It's even easier. He scored. I don't have to go in. So it's, you know. Self-preservation in an instance, but then, of course, elation, because why? We won the game. It completely yeah. makes sense. And we were playing a Bills team that was mirroring us in the AFC. Right. We didn't yeah. even realize it. Because yeah. we were so busy focused on the Jaguars mm-hmm. and obviously playing the Rams for the second straight, you know, uh, for the second time that yeah. season, potentially. Potentially, We weren't yeah. thinking about, you know, the, the Bills in and, and that wild card round. And we hosting, it came in and gave it to us, you know what I mean? And, and almost won the game. Now, before you guys went to Tennessee, did you guys know firsthand that you guys were going to be moving to Tennessee from Houston? What what made yeah. the NFL decide to get rid of Houston? Were they were the fans not coming out, or did they just need to change the scenery? What was that? Because you went through that. Right. First off, there was a, a huge, and still exists to this day, a love affair with the city of Houston and its Oilers. 
Mm-hmm. The love you, love you blue era will be irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. No fault of no slights in the Texans, but that was since the 60s, right. their team. Okay. Right. I think Bud may have gotten sideways. Bud Adams, the owner of the team that time, may have gotten sideways with the community, with the fan base when he fired Bunk Phillips. It was a very unpopular firing. Mm-hmm. And after that, you know, with a stadium as old as the Astrodome was, there needed to be renovations, there needed to be repairs, there needed to be a competitive market created to bring in free agents and people that wanted to play for the team. Mm-hmm. And he asked the county for money. And that happened more than once. And then finally, he came with a handout to, you know, to to have some more things done to the stadium, and the stadium basically said no. So the, the, the arm was twisted in that, hey, look, if I don't get these provisions done to the Astrodome, which is 30 years old or however long it was at that point, right. I'm moving. Right. And when it came down that they weren't going to give Bud any more money, he made a deal with the state of Tennessee. Um, Mayor uh, Phil Bredesen at the time here in Nashville um, invited Bud up. They, they toured the city. They toured probably a lot of areas in the state to find out exactly where they wanted to put the, put the team. I know that Memphis had thrown their hat into the ring many, many moons ago to yeah. get an NFL team, but to be that. denied. So they were not happy to hear Nashville finally got the NFL franchise that right. they've been seeking for so many years. Right. But it, it wasn't by accident that Bud had us play our first year in Tennessee in the city of Memphis. Wasn't that well received. People did come out to see the games, but they came out to support the teams that they'd already supported before we got to Tennessee. So we saw a lot of Redskin fans, excuse me, Washington football fans. No, no, back then they were Redskins they fans. Were. So they were, they were. This being being correct. Um, saw a lot of Steelers fans, a lot of whoever we played fans, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it wasn't Byron until we ended up um, going to the Super Bowl in the, our third year in Tennessee, because the, the next year we spent in Vanderbilt Stadium, which is in Nashville, at least we're right. home. Right. Um, but then when they built Adelphia Coliseum and went to the Super Bowl, that pretty much struck a love affair between the Tennessee Titans, the, the city of Nashville, and the outlying communities. I say Middle Tennessee. East Tennessee, that's ball country. Mm. West Tennessee, that's Grizzlies country. Middle Tennessee, that's Titans country. Sounds about right. And, and really, the only reason why it's Titans country, I think, and it wouldn't be SEC country, is because of the, the, the metropolitan feel that we have here. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of transplants that move to Nashville, a lot of different industries. You know, we're more than just a college town. You know? And so with that, I think comes a, a level of sophistication um, that would say the, the NFL is more of the wrong than, say, yeah, and maybe if Vanderbilt were more competitive, it would be, you know, more of an SEC type situation. But you, we know the SEC is king in right. college football, but not here in Nashville. Now, I hate to bring this up, but unfortunately, I have to because you you were there when it happened. The the Super Bowl ending against the Rams. What what do you remember most about that play? Did you think he was going to get in? No, I knew he wasn't going to get in because of where I was standing. <laughs> I knew, matter of fact, see, the, the laurel of the story gets told that he was a one yard short. He wasn't one yard short, he was like three yards short. Rolled a couple more yards to where he finally stopped a yard short, but that wasn't where he was tackled. Mm. He didn't see Mike Jones basically break coverage and mm. was standing right there in that zone. So when Kevin ran across in front of him and caught the ball, he just simply tackled him. I could see that from where I was. Obviously, Kevin couldn't. So right. I knew he wasn't going to score, but. Hard-fought victory for them. I think that that was one of the more entertaining Super Bowls in Super Bowl history. So 
Glad to have been a part of it. Wish we could have got the W because who's to know, who's to say what could have happened for right. us as a franchise exactly. had we been a Super Bowl winning team, right? Exactly. Yeah. Having that kind of legacy. It's one thing to get there. It's another thing to win it. Right. Exactly. I mean, look at what Tom Brady's done with his eight. So, no, seven. Yeah, seven. Exactly. Sorry, seven. I mean, you got to see the guy a lot of years. What I mean, how what's that like going up against, a lot of people say the GOAT. I, I can't say that because it's a it's different when you're talking when you ask players that question. You know why? Because it's not emotional. We deal with facts. We deal with how did that guy play against us? How do we play against them? Well, how do you play they're, against they're, how do you play against you guys? We've beaten Tom plenty of times. You know what I'm saying? We played Tom in one of the coldest playoff games in history. Came up short, but we could have beat him. That's you know true. what I'm saying? So, so it's just you know. One week, a guy could be great. You don't think Tom Brady wishes he could have been Tom Brady against the Saints? That's true. <laughs> right? You see what I'm saying? So we just hold things in, in in basic relative terms, basically. We don't have this this awestruck idea about anybody we play against. Why? Because we're one of them. They're our peers. Mm-hmm. And this guy doesn't walk an inch above water. He puts his pants on one leg at a time just like we do. He ain't the strongest guy. He ain't the fastest guy. He ain't the smartest guy. Could he be the luckiest guy? Maybe. Could he be the hardworkingest guy? Could be. Those are things that he can control. Yeah. The other stuff, eh, not so much. So, uh, in 93, you were drafted. You drafted out of Illinois, round one, pick number 13. Uh, who told you you were going to be drafted? And did you know you were going to be drafted that high? You know, being honest, Byron, going in the NFL wasn't my plan. Mm-hmm. It was my opportunity. My plan was to finish school, open up a business in my hometown, be close to my parents, mm-hmm. my brother, my sister. You know, live my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't have these grand aspirations of turning pro and being famous, being a millionaire, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It just it it never defined me. But I'm not silly to not pay attention to when opportunity comes knocking, and the opportunity started to kind of whisper. In my year as a junior, mm. I think that it was rumored then that I, I was probably one of the, the, the top five rated tackles as a junior. Uh, and then it just made sense that scouts and whatnot came to see me my senior year. And it just worked out. You know, we had an average year. We finished one game above 500. Went to our fifth straight bowl game. So we were a pretty good team uh, in that era. That started with Jeff George when I was a freshman. So um, I just took advantage of... of of the things that the guys around me had, had instilled in me, the players I played with, the coaches I, I played with, also the different sports I played in. You know, I was a basketball player by heart. And I used a lot of those intangibles to mirror defensive ends and keep them away from the basket. You call them the quarterback. I call them the hoop. You know what I mean? So it's just the way I played the game. So obviously you played in about 200 games in your 13-year career. Do you think... Uh, you're a certified Hall of Famer, or do you think you did not play that many games to be a Hall of Famer? I don't know what qualifies someone to be a Hall of Famer. Because first off, I'm not one that's going to politic for me to get into the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Because I think there are way more deserving people than for me to politic and say I deserve more over anybody else. Another thing, I... Honestly, I love competing. I love going to work. You know, Mm -hmm. being around the guys and that same goal. Mm Mm-hmm. But football wasn't what defined me. You know what I mean? I could have been just as passionate about playing the tuba. 
I was first chair all through high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have been as passionate about dancing, love dancing, you know, about doing so many other different things. You know, um, I guess I was just a simple, uh, what do they call it? Um, liberal arts degree guy. <laughs> you know, you just like free thinking and just kind of, you know, and it, it just, I, I sure, got. Do I appreciate the disciplines? Do I appreciate the experiences that I was able to um, ascertain as a pro player? Sure. Maybe who the player, maybe the person I am sitting in front of you confidently being able to speak about whatever you're asking me, right? Mm-hmm. But if I went in a different direction, I'd probably be the same person just talking about a different thing. Right. You know what I mean? I might even have on a railroad hat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or something else. You know, you know, but either right. way, I am who I am. Right. You know what I mean? And football didn't define me. So would I be defined by going into the Hall of Fame? No. Would it be great? Sure. Because behind me, you can't see on my walls, and I'm looking at two Hall of Fame jerseys. One by Bruce Matthews, one by Mike Munchak. The other, um, Warren Moon, just pictures over my right shoulder. Mm. So I've played with plenty of guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Right. And I've played with some guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. Right. And I played against guys that are going that are in the Hall of Fame and are going That's to right. be in the Hall of Fame. That's right. So put it this way. Me not being in the Hall of Fame, it wouldn't break me. But as long as the guys that are in the Hall of Fame know who I am, that's all I care about. There you go. I couldn't have said it better. So, obviously, you got to be alongside a QB of Steve McNair. Unfortunately, what happened to him? Rest his soul. Unfortunately, what happened to him? What was he like as a person in the locker room? Because you got to know him personally off and on the field. So, what was he like? You know, it's funny. I'm one of the the, the few that have had the opportunity to block for Warren Moon and Steve McNair, two pillars of this franchise in their time. Mm-hmm. And there are two completely different black quarterbacks. The leadership qualities, the fathership qualities that Warren brought to the team, they're definitely relevant. irrelevant. You know what I'm saying? We, we follow one dog. You know what I'm saying? The guy, you know, when he spoke, we listened. Right. Steve didn't speak verbally. He spoke by action. You see what I'm saying? He wasn't a dude that was going to stand up and give you some speech before the game, but he was a dude that was going to go out there and give every ounce of blood in his body to give his team a chance to win. And we felt that, and that's what we vibed with. So completely different approaches by two great quarterbacks that um, had a lot of success with this franchise. So two more questions because I know we're almost ending it here. Uh, first question is um, your ten- your Tennessee Titans now. Do you think Rabel can get them to to the Super Bowl and win it? Do you think he has a shot with Tannehill? Well, if there is a coach in today's current time that can do it, Mike Vrabel most certainly can do it. His lineage speaks to that. Not only as a player but as a coach, an assistant, who he's been coached by, his affiliations, they all matter in this instance. The fact that he's had playing experience to the level that he's played it, mm-hmm. that speaks volumes to the guys that he's coaching. They believe in him. And buy-in, Byron is the most important thing on a pro team. Buying into the direction, whether it's a coach or it's a player that has the attention of the squad, you got to know what you're talking about and sound convincing you said. And that's exactly who my variable is. Played against a dude on two different teams. 
Played against him when he first got in the league as a Steeler. That's right. Played against did. him when he first yeah. got in, when he got to the Patriots. Yep. So I understood what kind of a player he was. I understood how smart he was. So does it surprise you that he has his team prepared and in the position they are? Absolutely not. Ryan Tannehill needed Derrick Henry. He did. Derrick Henry needs Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, you're right. And the reason why I say that is because you have to have someone that can throw over the head of the defense to get those bodies out of the box that we just talked about earlier, right? Yeah. You can't run through a brick wall. Not repeatedly. You know what I mean? It might work one or two times, but <laughs> that third or fourth wall, it might not move. And if that's the case, you got to have somebody that can throw over that wall and then bring some of those bricks down. You see what I'm saying? And that's how they how they balance one another. Now, I think uh, Deontay Foreman, he's done a great job of – being Derrick Henry in this offense. Oh, yeah. I think While he's, he's had gone, like, yeah. Yeah, he's done yeah, a couple of, yeah. couple of 100-yard games in the past five or something like that. You yeah. know? So the dude's been doing good. But it will be great for the Titans to get Derrick Henry back, especially if they win tomorrow or win um, this weekend against the Texans and get that first week by. You know what I mean? So that could be big for the Titans. Now, how well do you think the receivers will come? Because I know they've been battered – Battered as well. Do you think they'll be healthy? Julio was a full participant in practice on Thursday, okay. Thursday being their heaviest day other okay. than Wednesday. So it seems like you're going to have the gang back together other than, of course, 22. Oh, I can't wait to see that. But if, you, if you've still got a stout run game, one that's respectable, because we saw um, Foreman ran for 100 last week, you know, why wouldn't he run for 100 against this Texan defense? They can't stop anybody. No, they can't. They're horrible. <laughs> I say that not to pull up Bucks and overlook the Jets. But they still got to go out there and do it. But it should be accomplishable. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. But you asked the question earlier about Tannehill and Derek. Obviously, Tannehill didn't have a Derek Henry when he was in Miami. Miami, no, he did not. Right. No. And he also didn't have a coordinator that was committed as much as as um, Art Smith was last year to running the football. And he didn't have the some... receivers that he does, too, right now in Tennessee. That He didn't have them in Miami. That's true. That's that's true too. So there's there's a bunch of firsts. You got, you know what, the second round pick AJ Brown totally taking advantage of the uh, refurbished Ryan Tannehill, mm-hmm. who obviously is taking advantage of having this battering ram that just loves to stiff arm cats and Derrick Henry. So it's the perfect combination of an offense. But that's not where their bread and butter is won. Their bread and butter is what on the other side of the football defense with Harold Landry. Yep. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, Bud Dupree, uh, Kevin Bayard. These dudes are ballers. They're getting turnovers. They're getting sacks. They're for opportunities for this offense. Which I gotta it's ask a balanced you, team. Which I got to ask you, do you think he's going to play, Bud? I know he's going through a booking right now. Do you think he's going to play? <laughs> it's a misdemeanor. You know, I'm not, and, you know, <laughs> I mean, the guy's not in jail, right? I mean, he's. Not he, yet. He I guess he. I guess he's going for some booking. I don't know. Some, some something. He probably turned himself in. I mean, who knows what? I, I, don't, I don't know. know. I don't. I, I don't. So know obviously, tell, you got to tell the backstory, Byron. So apparently, there was a um, altercation at a, at a Walgreens yesterday evening around eight o'clock um, between some twenty-year-old worker at Walgreens something, and yeah. an entourage of people. The people left, came back with Bud Dupree. I don't know if Bud got physical. With the Walgreens guy, but obviously there was an arrest warrant. Right. Put out for him. Right. So, um, 
I say Mr. Munich is what? I mean, we don't know if he punched the guy. We don't know if he just grabbed him. You know, we don't know if he put him in a headlock and gave him a noogie. We don't know what <laughs> right. happened. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, you know, to make it a misdemeanor versus a felony and, you know, how those two charges are different and how they can affect Bud's participation in the game. Yeah. You know? But, um, I don't know. We'll see. Game Sunday. I mean, doesn't he have to go to the court? Yeah. Doesn't something have to happen? Yeah. It ain't going to happen tomorrow. No. True. Very true. <laughs> yeah. You're right on that. Um, now I got to ask you about the disciple real quick before we head off. I got to ask you, why do you think none of Belichick's disciples have made it in the NFL? What do you think what do you think is wrong with them? Why do you think Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia, um the only one that really has flourished so far is Flores. Look what he's done in Miami. He that's the only yeah. one so far. But why do you think the others and Why is that? People have made the mistake of trying to copy Bill Belichick for years. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to copy him, especially when you come up in that system. Correct. But you have to create your own system. You could, you could spend a lifetime trying to emulate something that can't ever be done. You know what I'm saying? Rather than taking the pieces of that experience, making them part of your own because of your influence. Right. Brian's done that. You know what I'm saying? He's taking the experience that he gained working in that franchise, working under Bill Belichick, and then putting his own stamp on it with how he manages his offense, how he manages team decisions, things like that. Stepping out from underneath the shadow of Bill Belichick. And I think that um, you you say, why aren't they successful? Didn't Mike spank that booty this year? He sure did. He did, And and sent sent Bill scowly face back to the locker room. You know what I mean? So who looked bad in that interchange? It wasn't Mike. Mike was the one that ran up to him all energetic and Bill gave him the scar. That is true. You know what I mean? That is true. Uh, So before we head off, define your career in one word. Long. There you go. Long. I mean, 194 games. 13 years. I was a starter since I was a rookie. Yep. It was a long time. And enjoyable, too. You enjoyed every single moment of it. We did a lot of winning in those years. Yes, you did. We did some losing, but fortunately, we did more winning than losing. You did more winning, yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't get you to where you wanted was a Super Bowl. Hey, it still got a lot of winning. That's the the main thing. You got a lot of winning. (laughs) I mean, okay, so think about it. What if we just scored that touchdown? Would the experience of the other 58 or so minutes have changed anything? No. I don't think so. We don't know where our, our future is still uncertain. We don't know what that could have done being the Super Bowl champion Tennessee Titans. But put it this way, the years after that, we went to two more conference championships. Right, exactly. So we had a pretty good For unit sure. those four or five years until I retired. Exactly. And you had you had guys like Eddie George, yeah, McNair. You had uh, right. Derek Wycheck, Mason. Rich Matthews. Yeah, Wycheck. Yeah, you had a lot Derek of guys. Mason. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Javon Curse. Yep, Javon Curse. Yeah, Blaine Bishop. Come on, man. Yeah, exactly. Do this all day. I know. They're comparing him. They're comparing Curse to the guy right now in Dallas. They shouldn't. They shouldn't do no comparisons. They're, they're their own guys, but they're you know how everybody wants to do comparisons. They're comparing. Because they will both wear 90. That, yeah. They Very both good. wear 90. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. I mean, I saw we saw him um, test the, the tip pass at the line of scrimmage, jump over a dude on his yeah. way down. And so, that's something that Javon would have done back in the day. 
You know what I mean? Exactly. But Devon was also a converted linebacker to defense. Yeah, he was. Yes. Yes, he was. Yeah. He, he, he was much better where he was, where he was put up in ultimately than where they wanted to put him. So the thing that made Javon great was um, Jim Washburn. Jim Washburn trained him and turned him into a, a trained killer, basically. Taught him about crouching line scrimmage and getting off on the snap count. Because if you think about it, Javon didn't weigh a whole bunch. wasn't the strongest dude. No, he world, wasn't. But he was, but he was extremely fast and agile. And if you yeah. got the ball before you did as a lineman, that meant curtains for you. Yeah. You know what I mean, and that's what that's what Jim Washburn trained him to do. Exactly, exactly. That's why, he, and he, he's going to have a Hall of Fame career, and he's going to be in a Hall of Fame soon. So I think. You think so? Be. I think so. I think he had a Hall of Fame career. Not oh. enough of a sample size, Byron. I was around for most of his career. I watched Not enough of a sample size. I don't he know. To, he I helped us get to the Super Bowl. I get it. And then you hear me, this is the guy I played with. I get it. With how but dominating he was? There's also a bunch was? of dudes I played with that, you know, that with could have that same kind of question mark. But you got to, Tony Baselli. Why isn't Tony Baselli in the Super Bowl? Good in the point. Hall of Fame That's true. Good point. He should Not be. Not enough of a sample size. Yeah, he should be. I don't know why he's not. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I just told you, because not enough of a sample size. Yeah. He had, like, what, four or five years of dominance and the shoulder took him out of the game? That's true. was one of the most dominant best players in it, but he didn't give up enough. Give us enough of a sample size to say, yeah, your career supersedes so many other guys that might have played twice as long as you did. Got in, you know, got in it's twice as many accolades. You know what I'm saying? We know how dominant Tony Baselli was, and his career was definitely cut short. Right. But not enough of a sample size. Yeah. Exactly, you're right. Well, like we said, we've gone, we've gone a little bit over a half hour, which is okay. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you didn't want to do that. So, uh, but <laughs> An I will... hour is a long time, bro. That's all I I'm know. saying. That's what I'm saying. We usually do 15-minute segments for guests on our show. Oh, I know, so. I know, on yeah, radio. <laughs> but, hey, I would yeah. like to have you on some more if you, if, you would li- if you would like to. I got your contact info. I'll stay yeah. in touch with you. Don't be stalking me, man. Oh, hell no, hell no. <laughs> And you don't do this. Don't do the same either. <laughs> okay, you got me, Brian. <laughs> All right. I won't stalk you. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. I'll be. Right, I'll man. be um, texting you after uh, this is done. I'll send you the episode in on YouTube as well. I'll send you that so you can share it. And yeah, um, I'll have you on more times. So I'd appreciate it. All right. All right, man. Take you care. Have a good right. night, Byron. You have a good, good night. Okay. Bye. Bye. Brad Hopkins, everybody. Great conversation. Do his Super Bowl mm, mishap right there. I know he wanted to win it, but hey, he knew it himself. Wasn't going to win it. Wouldn't have made a difference anyhow because it was early in the game. And the Rams dominated them to his Hall of Fame career. He th- Maybe. Who knows? We'll see. He don't think so, but maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Hope he does get in. But other than that, this concludes episode 69. Have a good night. Stay safe. See you all tomorrow.